All right, so I got a little uh, some a story to tell. All right. So I think I might live in a uh, I think I don't know if I should say haunted, but I don't. It, there's a bad luck inside this new place I live in. Already. Already. So so day one when I moved in, there's this old lady, and she's like, this sounds fucked up. She's a, she looks like a witch. Okay. <laughs> like she has she has teeth that remind me of a witch and she just has that like weird funk and like look to her. I don't know. It's hard to explain. But anyway, um, so I walk in day one, I'm moving boxes upstairs. Right. And she goes, uh, she goes, Oh, you're moving in right above me. And I go, yeah. She goes, huh? Good uh, luck. What? Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? Oh my so gosh. Just, like, you know, this lady downstairs told me good luck. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But so anyway, so time goes along, whatever. And, uh, Three days ago, um, we're sleeping. We're laying in bed. It's 4, 10, 4, 15 in the morning. I hear literally right outside our window because we keep the window open. It's, it fans on because it's hot, right? Right outside our window, three gunshots and then a car skirt away. Normal. <laughs> yeah, right? And, and where I live, that's not normal. I was like, Shannon, we should move this area. Like I grew up here when I was younger and like I moved away from here to like some pretty ghetto areas, but right. this is like the nicest place I've ever lived. Yeah, it should be fine. So she's freaking out like, where the fuck do we live? And I'm like, trust me, this doesn't happen. But essentially like across the street, there's this construction site and there's these dudes that are doing heist and they're stealing construction equipment. Oh, uh, okay. And the cops were called and they tried to run over the cop. Cop fired at the dude. One dude got away. One dude was cuffed. If there was a third guy, I don't know because they shut down the apartments. They shut down the streets around us. There was like crime scene investigation, like chalk and everything. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. So we were like locked down for a while. It was fucking nuts, right? I'm wa- So we walk up to uh, – I had to give my statement because I was one of the residents that woke up and heard the shit. Mm-hmm. So this lady happens to walk out and she's trying to be like snoo- Snoopy and like listen to stuff. Right. She was saying some absurd things but – I start walking back home and she follows me because she lives below me. And she's like, she's like, oh, yeah, so you're the guy that lives above me, huh? And it's been, we've been here three and a half weeks, I think three, four weeks. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I live above you. And she was like, uh, you know, you're the fourth person that's ever lived there, right? And I'm like, aren't these apartments brand new? Like, they've only been around for like, what, 12 months? And she's like, yep. And I'm like, what the fuck? What? And she was like, well, the first couple was uh, these two ladies uh, had uh, a big domestic fight and left, but they left all their shit here. Hmm. Yeah. So like everybody's like, where did they go? Who knows? The second person um, moved in and immediately got laid off, was like back drawn or something. They had to kick her out. Sure. The third person fell down the fucking stairs and had this huge like commotion, injury, all this shit, and somehow had to leave and all this stuff. So I'm number four. <laughs> yeah. So then she tells me, you know, like uh, she says this and I'm like, fuck, this is weird. And then she goes, yeah. And, and by the way, you guys walk really loud. And I'm like, oh. what are you talking about? She's like, like, all evening I can hear you walking. I was like, well, you know, like I when I'm home, I'm literally just working on my laptop and stuff. I was like, I don't move around a lot. And Shannon weighs 115 pounds. Like I'm I'm sure you're you're hearing somebody else. And she's like, no, like, but if you ever hear me banging on the wall, that's why. And I'm like. Okay, whatever. What? So I come upstairs and I start meditating, right? Shannon's asleep still at this point because, like I said, the gunshots were at 4 in the morning. So it's like 6 a.m. by now. Yeah. Start meditating and she starts fucking pounding on the wall. But there's nothing going on. Shannon's asleep and I'm meditating. Bro, like for five minutes straight. 
because I had a timer on meditation. I was like, this what? lady. So maybe it's not haunted. Maybe this crazy lady below me drives people out. Maybe. Maybe that's her but, goal. Oh, my God. So and then <laughs> yesterday morning, this is the day after. We finally get a good night's sleep. I go on my morning walk. Shannon's tires just boom, flat all the way to the floor the what? next morning. And I'm like, fuck. So I had to wake up and fucking take her tire on, get a spare on and shit. Oh I'm like, gosh. yo, what next? So this morning I woke up and I was like, fuck, what's going to happen? Because this is day three. Nothing happened so far. So, but I'm feeling like this is month one and all this shit has already happened. Like, well, I'll keep an eye. I feel like the picture behind you is going to fall off the wall or something. Just like, right? boom. Or like those ninja swords are going to like raise yeah. up shot me yeah or that clock is just gonna like spin out of control <laughs> yeah there's no <laughs> batteries in there so if that starts spinning tell me because that, <laughs> wow yeah man i'm not i'm not i'm not liking the whole situation here but it's a nice place though so <laughs> anyway that's my story for the day so uh let's let's dig into i mean since it's just me and you let's mm -hmm. talk nutrition because okay. theo's not around so you know i like to do that uh i want to know what your experience has been lately you've been dabbling in some different things i think randomly me and you kind of like went to the same wavelength of like just fasting and i don't know if you're into like paleo i should say but you're starting to dive into more primal style eating and yeah essentially like real food versus uh trying to fit in whatever you can and, and i've kind of naturally done the same thing neither one of us are you're not tracking calories either are you um loosely but not Okay. A lot. No, it's so mostly I, protein, but okay. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know what, like that's probably the smartest bet because most people under eat that. Yeah. Um, for me, I overeat it cause I just love <laughs> meat, dairy and all that stuff. So I, yeah. I don't need to track it, but essentially we're on the same page. So kind of fill me in on like what made you, uh, and we are obviously in two different boats as far as like why we're doing things. So it's going to mm -hmm. be kind of interesting. So what made you take that shift and start eating this way? And then what have you noticed since you did so? Um, well, I'd say overall, I noticed sort of a, just a shift of getting more loose with what I was eating. And since I wasn't tracking before, I wasn't really realizing probably how bad I was eating compared to what I was. Um, so that just sort of naturally pulling the reins in with that. Um, but also I was having a lot more flare ups with my Crohn's. So I wanted to get back to basics. Um, I reduced all the inflammatory foods that I was eating or ingredients. And then also started doing intermittent fasting as well to basically let the gut heal and more of those off hours so that it could get back to normal. And that's sort of what I've been doing for over just over the past month so in how how much like of a difference have you noticed so far i definitely noticed that first week i noticed a, a big difference compared to the week prior obviously because that was the most contrasting but as yeah. the weeks keep going by i'm seeing more changes as well i'm feeling better i don't feel as um well with those inflammatory foods that would cause like bloat that would cause indigestion that would cause all these other issues and not having that for the past month has been, I'd say the most noticeable. So now that, now that you're like, I just thought of this, um, mm -hmm. has your low back pain? Um, it has, it, it comes and goes still. Okay. Um, but I think that, I mean, my stomach is still, recovering itself 
So yeah. I, I don't, I didn't expect the back pain to just all of a sudden go away, go away quickly yeah. like that, but it's improved. It's now more off and on versus where it was more consistent before. Right. And the reason I ask is because like I've noticed uh, like your Turkish get-ups look way fucking better, which a part mm-hmm. of that is technique. Obviously, you've been right. practicing them. But like we've been doing, we uh, started going heavy on Zercher squats. Mm-hmm. Zercher squats heavy are really, really demanding on your core. So I know your core is getting stronger, especially because we're adding weight to it. Um, yeah. But all this is just clicking in my head because Dan Swinsko, our PT, kind of mentioned like, hey, if you um, – well, he was saying that your Crohn's disease, the gut issue, is actually related to why uh, your core might not be firing properly in these exercises, correct? Yeah, vice versa. The core isn't firing as much due to the Crohn's. Okay, um, right. But he said essentially that if I had a weak core in general, this doesn't help it at all. It yeah. adds on to it. So um, I'm trying to think of the words he'd said, but basically building up my core it is sort of like, okay, are the muscles going to get fatigued or are my internals, you know, quote unquote, basically right. fatigued. So my body is going to protect my internals first instead of my muscles. So that's why it's going to favor them instead. Right. Cause I mean, survival, let's yeah. be honest, but essentially in my mind, if we can, and that's why, like I said to you right away, like, man, maybe you should think about doing the elimination diet because mm-hmm. my, my, so I, I read some research the other day that was talking about, um, post-workout nutrition with uh, any individual has uh, poor gut permeability or just gut issues in general, okay? So it doesn't even have to be Crohn's disease. It could be anything. And they were actually recommending that you should not have post-workout nutrition. Like you shouldn't have a protein take. You shouldn't have carbs. You shouldn't have any meal at least for an hour. Okay. Whereas that's really uh, opposite from what everything has told us in history, especially with bodybuilding, right? Like everything, you got to get that protein shake. You got to get food right after you work out to replenish your uh, muscles, your glycogen, your protein, whatever. But what they were saying is when we exercise, and this makes sense, if I'm doing bicep curls, because that's my favorite example, (laughs) blood flow is going to go to my biceps, right? And blood is withdrawn away from the gut. But when we consume food, or even if like me right now, just staying here, most of my blood is probably going to be more towards my gut than my muscles because mm-hmm. the gut actually needs that to do its work, right? So when gut isn't or when we don't have uh, blood flow going to the gut, it can't process things the same mm-hmm. and it can't work the same, right? right? So they're saying like if you withdraw all that blood flow from the gut because you're training and then you try to eat right away, your body will not be able to digest and absorb that. So if you already have gut issues, that's the worst time. Yeah. And I was thinking about that and I was like it makes sense too because I've been able to uh, – eat more post-workout lately because when I come home, I barbecue, I cook a sweet potato, I barbecue veggies too. So it takes me hell long to get everything done. Yeah. And I realized I don't even eat for an hour and a half after training. Yep. But I thought that was interesting and obviously something that you could apply right away. Yeah. And I, I've never thought of it like that, but I've never sort of like, I've never wanted to be hungry when I wake up. I've never hungry or feel like I need to eat after I work out either. So it right. sort of already falls into a delayed, you know, when I eat. Yeah. And it makes sense too from a, so I think like people who track calories and macros, like their whole spiel or reasoning is daily calories and macros are all that matter, right? Like mm-hmm. as long as you consume your, and to an extent that's true. Like, so if you did this way of eating for a long time and you were like, Hey, I really want to, cut down more body fat, then I would be like, okay, just eat the way you're eating. Let's track your calories and let's continue the way you're eating, but then just withdraw low calories. It makes sense. But 
this goes to show as well, like it really doesn't matter uh, if you have those feedings or whatever, as long as you're eating how it works for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably going to be the most important thing. So yep. that's huge. But uh, I think it's funny too because – so I've been doing the same thing as you know. Like I've been – I cut out macros and calories and I did that for like a psychological purpose. I felt like I was too attached to tracking numbers and too analytical with everything and I was like I need to take a step back and just – do it the more intuitive way because one, I know how to do it and two, it just makes more sense for me lifestyle wise right now. I don't have like a crazy goal. Um, but I kept kind of tiptoeing in it cause like I was like kind of like, nah, like I need the numbers, I need metrics. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so I started having really bad stomach issues and it, and it's, I hate to say this, but it's from eggs. And it's funny because I took a food sensitivity test fucking four years ago Mm-hmm. And they told me, like, you should probably only have eggs, like, twice a week max. And I was like, eggs? What the fuck? I always eat eggs. And she was like, yeah, but you have some sensitivity showing. You don't want it to create an allergy or whatever. And I literally was just like, this stuff is bullshit. Like, whatever. (laughs) So I kept eating eggs a couple times a week. And I had no issue. So I just immediately was like, they don't know what they're talking about. And then it turned to three times. Then it turned four times. And then it turned to, like, my normal meal plan was just eating eggs every single day. And I ate literally anywhere between three to six whole eggs a day for a long time up until just a few months ago which is isn't unhealthy but what it can do is cause an allergy if you're eating it the same way over and over again right yeah sure enough like i started getting all these stomach issues i don't know what the hell's going on just like like sorry for the gross words people but bubble guts you know just nasty and i cut out eggs and i felt fucking amazing and I was just like, okay, let me take a step back. Like, mm-hmm. cause I didn't reduce calories. I didn't do anything like that. Let me just try to get, and then I started reading like, uh, this book wired to eat by Rob Wolf and started learning a little bit of his tactics of like the paleo way of eating. Right. <clears throat> to me, it just makes sense. Like, and we've had this question about the epigenetics, right? So we can kind of dig into that a little bit, but it makes sense of how like his whole thing wired to eat is we're wired to eat a certain way. So I was looking at this study that showed, um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but amylase is like the, it's, it's, it's a type of, uh, enzyme inside of our bile that breaks down carbohydrates as we chew and swallow. So they did a study with all these different cultures around the world of like who are still on hunter gatherer diets. Right. And everybody's level of amylase is different. So they were raised eating different levels of carbohydrates. So that's why it makes sense why – like so in, in the south part of Africa, their amylase is super uh, low and they actually like survive ha- – like almost all their diet is like ketogenic because they eat a ton of nuts and seeds and things like that. Right. Which makes sense because it's also really dry out there. They probably don't have as much produce and stuff. Um, and then up in Alaska, it's really low as well but all they eat is uh, meat. It's like literally all animal products, barely any veggies. So they have a different type of prebiotic, probiotic, all these micro uh, gut microbiome issues or not issues, but um, diversity, I should say, that's going to allow them to eat a different way. So it had this fucking map and it showed you exactly like which cultures around the world actually produce different enzymes, which is going to allow you to have different carb tolerances, different food allergies, all these different things like insane. Interesting. but that just goes to show like maybe the paleolithic way isn't all bullshit, right? So – but it's also to say like if I can't eat eggs, doesn't mean you can't eat eggs. Right. 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 Well, I when I did have that uh, food allergy test done, um, it showed that I was intolerant to egg whites 
but not egg yolks. And usually it's the opposite. Um, for yeah. People. And so I actually, uh, we went, cause we went to, uh, Geraldine's on my birthday, me and Shannon mm-hmm. and I got eggs and I, or I, I got pancakes, but I really wanted, uh, corned beef hash and they do like the, like runny egg on top. Okay. And I was like, fuck. So I just got egg whites and that was totally fine. Nice. So same thing. It's, it's, but I don't, how are you going to, uh, take the, uh, white or like the yolk without the white well that's the weird part right like the only way i could think of is making hard-boiled eggs and then just eating the yolk um but if i do have eggs i just sort of like what you did before i just don't have them often so uh, okay and yeah. it doesn't and I think, to be a problem right moderation right so yeah. and i think that's like something i would recommend to most is like i always talk about the 90 10 rule but if you can apply that to a paleolithic style of eating or an ancestral style of eating, like I think you would be much better off. Like 90% of your diet should be plant-based, some animal products. So eggs and honey is really the only paleo style um, animal products and then just tons of veggies. So they were saying too is uh, our ancestors actually ate th- – uh, I think it was four times. It was a three or four times more veggies than any American. Sure. I believe is- it. So just imagine like their gut health is so much better. Their disease risk was so much lower from all these things. So, but they also moved more. Um, they also fasted, I guarantee at least 12 hours because yeah. you can't come out the cave and just start running around. Plus you don't have food right away. Right? right. So I think that's a big thing. And then, um, which is why I've been digging into this a lot too, is growth hormone release during fasting. So once you hit about 13 hours, your growth hormone spikes up tremendously so it's funny because there's a lot of people out there that say if you fast, you're not going to be able to build muscle because you're not feeding the muscle. Mm-hmm. Whereas people who are doing studies on fasting say, well, there's this huge growth hormone spike and that's going to lead to lead to more muscle preservation than anything. Because when we eat, this is crazy. So when you eat, growth hormone drops. Okay. Which is interesting because yeah. if we're supposed to feed the muscle to grow, which I get, you do need a surplus in calories to get bigger because you need calories to feed mm-hmm. and train and perform. But if you eat and growth hormone drops, then during that moment, you're actually not doing anything. So the best way to build muscle might be to fast 12 to 14 hours a day and then just have a calorie surplus. Yeah. Which is fucking nuts, too, to think about. So, but so I've been, I've been digging into a lot of this stuff and a lot of biohacking. Um, but I think like the biggest takeaway for me has just been it's not all about calories. Right. Right. So and Wired to Eat, if anybody wants to dig into stuff, is a really good book. But he he dives into some studies that show the all these different uh, enzymes and microbiome things that essentially you could eat a banana and I could eat a cookie mm-hmm. and you get more body fat storage, you get more of an insulin spike, you get all these blood sugar issues and I don't with the cookie, right? So, and it could be vice versa, right? So they had they literally did this study where some people would eat a banana, some people would a cookie and so it shows that there's certain ingredients in certain ways that everybody is different. And yeah. this so me and Theo did that episode on uh, where the industry is heading. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about like I think it's all individualization, like that's just where everything's going, right? So now they're doing like blood testing like you did for your food sensitivities. They're doing hormone panel testing to find out how much sleep do you need, how much stress do you have, like mm-hmm. this blue light stuff, like all these different things need to be individualized so we can actually see results. Yeah. Which is crazy. So the one I'm excited about 
and I've heard a, people talking about some of it, but I think it still has a little ways to go to make it worthwhile um, for consumers. But they actually have, they're doing gut biome testing. Um, you can actually test the gut microbiome, um, but they're getting to, it's almost about, I think, coming out on the market soon, but they can actually test it on like a DNA level so they can actually see what not only the type of like gut bacteria you have but how it'll respond to certain foods as well so holy shit yeah what uh, what do they do you just have to send in like like shit literally no it's actually um or is it blood test or i'm not sure how the original one first starts out but it'll actually be a monthly thing that you can do monthly so you oh, can wow. actually test and try different things out and see how you're responding to it too. So, I would be really interested in that yeah. because yeah. that and and that's the crazy thing is like right. So like, I got tons of people who want to do calories or macros and all these things, yet mm -hmm. they fall off so quickly or it stresses them out more, and then they go to quote unquote clean eating or healthy eating and they don't get the results. But if right. we look at these type of things and we're like, okay, let's let's focus on just real foods and just cut out like these two things, your body will feel and process things so much better that I think it'll be more motivating and easier to stick to that style of diet. Definitely. Right, because I know like, and you could probably contest this, like when people look from the outside in, like you're actually, even your doctor said this, right? Like I've never had somebody so disciplined. Yeah. <laughs> but if you cut out X, Y, Z and start a fast and you feel that, much fucking better yeah it's pretty motivating to stay disciplined yeah and i would say i mean i might have been on the borderline of paranoid but i had a pretty strong willpower that anything that showed up on that test that i had some form of intolerance to i didn't want to i saw it almost as like ruining my trial of seeing what i would yeah. feel like so i didn't want any of it right and that and that's kind of how i've been with this whole thing too because even even though my case isn't as extreme, like intermittent fasting and cutting out literally all processed food is still like a big jump for me because, mm -hmm. and I was talking to you about it yesterday, I'm still on the 90-10. Like there's still some things like I'm oh, trying yeah. to trying to cut out completely and like I've been switching like so my coffees and everything are just straight stevia. Like I'm doing little things because I'm trying to get there and that's what I recommend to people is like, like I'm doing the same thing I preach. Like this week I'm going to add fasting. Mm -hmm. Next week I'm cutting out sweeteners and just doing stevia for the most part. <laughs> The next week, I might try like something other than ketchup, right? So like, I'm trying to pull back a little bit on every little thing so I can get to that place because I, I saw the difference from just cutting out eggs and I feel so much better. But intermittent fasting has allowed me to do so much more work. And it's it's actually funny. Like, So if there's entrepreneurs and people who run business stuff, they'll probably understand how this feels. But I usually have like my week laid out of exactly what I need to do, right? Mm -hmm. It usually takes me the whole week to get there because I know how to plan my week. I started intermittent fasting and I started getting really the benefits and it was easier for me to wake up in the morning and it was easier for me to tap into my focus and start working. So last week, I think it was, it hit like Wednesday, Thursday and I already had everything done and then I felt guilty because I was chilling and I actually started like, like I'm trying to get into guitar again. Yeah. And then you feel guilty because I was like, dude, it's fucking Thursday. I should be working. I should be doing this, right? But you realize like, man, I'm just ahead of the game now. So right. I really do believe that intermittent fasting, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this too, like has allowed me to tap into a new level of focus. And I've actually started to, and we'll, we're going to answer a couple questions here soon. I've 
been using it with my training. It's actually helped me with my training as well, mm-hmm. like stay focused during training. But I train in the morning, which is different than you, so you might not have that. But have you yeah. noticed any clarity or mental focus since? Um, definitely. I don't know if I'd 100% relate it to intermittent fasting, but um, I feel like I sort of – once I get in this mindset, I'm determined and – it, it's not like a thought for me. So it's easy for me to wake up in the morning and know that um, I'm not probably, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to eat anything until, you know, I was waiting until one o'clock, but now I'm just sort of listening to my body. And yesterday it was 11. I was ready to eat something at 11. Um, but I feel that I've been, been, and I don't know if it's because it's real, you know, real food, unprocessed whole foods, but um, I've been feeling fuller longer which means I've been eating less overall, but the quality of the food has been better. Um, right. But the intermittent fasting, I think, has been going well. I think at first it's a little crazy to think how much time you'll fast for, but it's actually, yeah. I don't think it's that bad. It's that hard for me to do. It goes by a little bit quicker than you would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree. I think, like, so let's actually run down. I want to go over, like, some of the benefits of that, and then we can talk about, like, the benefits of maybe a paleolithic diet like i have some notes here that i can ramble through of like the reasons why you should implement maybe a little bit intermittent fasting and paleolithic um but i want to hear uh what's your routine like what's your schedule like do you have any system to it like as far as like you said you're kind of intuitive with Mm -hmm. how long you fast and i'm similar to that where some days it's 12 some days it's 13 some days it's 14 some days it's 16 Mm -hmm. it's always 12 minimum i think that's very important um, but I'm curious of like, do you have any rhyme or rhythm to how your meals are set up throughout the day with your training? Yeah. So my first meal typically is between 11 and one. And that's usually, a, for lack of better words, but like a lunch type meal, it's a full meal. Um, and then I will have usually a protein shake before an hour before I come to the gym. So that's usually about by three o'clock. And then after the gym, I'll get home and I have dinner at seven. And okay. then that's sort of the last meal. Do you before. have any like intuitive macronutrient choices on those? Like as far as like, okay, my first meal is going to stick to this and this. And then my second meal is going to stick to this and this. Or is yeah. it literally just like I just eat? No, no, no. I, I'm a creature of habit too. So I'm usually eating the same stuff all the time. Um so for lunch, it's usually a giant chicken breast. Sometimes it might even be two um, if they're smaller. And I always have – I've been on this kick of like uh, brown rice and quinoa. Um, I have a medley of that. And then uh, baby spinach with strawberries is usually so I, lunch. I think this is important too. So like we're talking about like paleolithic. And I told you yesterday like I cut out all grains because I wanted to see the difference. Mm-hmm. Whereas you eat brown rice and quinoa – pretty much every day yeah and you have Crohn's disease so Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to know like a hybrid paleo or like a a, to me a smart paleo a performance paleo uh intuitive paleo would be going to that paleo to that ancestral style diet and then seeing what actually fucking works with you right because I'm sure in the paleolithic era if they could harvest and have agriculture and have grains they would have ate fucking grains right but because we evolved over time without them, it's it's probably likely that we don't have the enzymes in our bile and in our gut. And, and, the, and it's the same reason why dairy doesn't 
uh, cooperate with a lot of people is we didn't have the lactate, which is the, what breaks down the lactose, the sugar, mm-hmm. which is another enzyme that our body just doesn't produce naturally to break that stuff down. And so we evolved that way. Now, some people, I don't know if it's their gut microbiome has more diversity or more, uh, it's more, um, what's the word? Uh, not primable, but like pliable where it can kind of uh, adapt to it easier than others. Right. Um, but essentially like, we got to look at it as like, okay, maybe grains are fine with you. Then keep fucking eating them. You know what right. I mean? So a lot of people, I think, get so trapped in the dogma. And even Rob Wolf says that a lot too. Is like, And he's like one of the paleo originators, right? He had a lot of gut issues, a lot of skin issues, a lot of things. He turned to that paleo and then he realized, okay, I'm going to make it minimalist. What works, what doesn't. I'm going to allow to keep in my diet what works and I'm going to allow what doesn't to, to leave, right? So right. – if you're going to decide to go with this, don't put yourself in a box. Like learn what works and learn what you enjoy and then go from there. Because I know some people who like sweet potatoes, for example, great food, super good for you. It's paleo. Maybe that does not sit well with your stomach. It doesn't mean you should eat it, right? So there's still paleo foods that don't work with people. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure eggs are paleo, right? Like if I go on a paleo diet and eggs don't work with me, I'm not going to eat eggs. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not saying like I keep saying the word paleo, so I don't want people to think like I'm gung ho paleo now, but well, but I think it's important. And I'd say one thing that I learned that was described to me um, by the doctor that I saw is that say on a scale of one to ten, ten is sort of your constant level of irritation and inflammation because of what you're eating, and say four is your threshold. So Anything below a four of your irritation, uh, you're not going to get really any of those issues, any bloated, anything of that sort. So if you can bring yourself down below your threshold, whichever that is, then you have some wiggle room. So it's sort of that 90-10 rule. Mm-hmm. If you do, and that could be where I am. Who knows? Maybe the brown rice or the grains, they do irritate me a little bit. But because I'm below that threshold, anything I have that would be a possible um intolerance it doesn't push me over that threshold to really see any negative effects um so that's where i try to stay is below that so then if i do have something if i do enjoy something that might be inflammatory or intolerant to me it's not going to really have adverse or negative effects right so i think a big key point there for most people to grab onto is becoming aware of where your threshold is yeah because I think – so like if you said a four is probably where you're safe, there's mm-hmm. probably a lot of people out there who are actually at above that on a frequent basis and they oh, don't yeah. realize. Yeah. Right? I, I know before I took out and looked at what I was eating because, again, I could still – before I had that food panel done, um, I could still think I'm eating clean or eating healthy. But a lot of those foods could be bad for me for, yeah. for my specific – you know intolerance so yeah and you just wouldn't know it i would i mean you might know it but i think psychologically you'd feel like well i'm eating healthy i'm eating this i'm eating that those are good those are better than you know mcdonald's or fast food but not to my body specifically yeah it goes back to individuality yeah so like all my schedule i'm just going to go over that real quick so i've been playing with some things so I started, I think I started really implementing intermittent fasting a few weeks ago and I go anywhere. Usually it's been pretty steady of a 14 to a 15 hour fast almost every day. Mm-hmm. And I would start, obviously I drink coffee and stevia in the morning and w- lots of water. And then I break my fast at that point with 
um, a greens drink, and then a big smoothie. So I would do like berries. I actually have been using vegan protein powder, which actually just sits better with my stomach, um, and a little bit of nut butter, and I just grind it up, and it's just like a huge smoothie bowl, and then I actually go work out. So I've been eating that, and then within an hour, go and work out, come back. So that's a, I mean, essentially, it's a carb, protein, and a little bit of fat, because I take fish oil and stuff, human yep. all these medicine or uh, vitamins right before I work out. And the reason being is a couple things. One, when we sleep, we actually deplete our liver of glycogen. And the only glycogen that really gets stored in the liver is from fruit, so sugar. Um, so in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna replenish with fruit in the morning and then also gives me a little fuel for training. And then my whole thing was like protein, right? So I don't break down muscle. Right. Um, and then, I go work out and I come home and I have just a massive, like you said, massive chicken breast, massive sweet potato, and I just barbecue some kind of veggies. Yesterday was like peppers and uh, broccoli and stuff, just whatever I have. And then I pretty much don't eat the rest of the day. And then right before, like at like 7 to 8 p.m., I usually have a big green salad or something along those lines where it's just high fat, high protein, and then a lot of greens, and then I go to bed. But as of this week, I started trying to fuck with fasted training. Because in my mind, and this is what's funny, is like you said, like in my mind, if I think this way, I'm just assuming that like the same thing with, oh, I'm eating clean. Like that's not the reason for this. Yeah. Well, in my mind, I was like, oh, carbs equal performance. So I'm going to eat carbs before I train. Mm -hmm. Well, this week I started playing with, I'm going to try to train fasted at the very end of my fast. So like I said at the beginning, growth hormone release is highest at the tail end of your fast. So usually it starts spiking really high at around 13 hours and then it spikes really high at 24 hours and then it kind of tapers off. But obviously it's unrealistic to do a 24-hour fast every single day. So I was like, I'm going to wait till about 12, 13 hours fasted. Then I'm going to go train and then I'll eat like an hour after that because it'll take me some time to cook. And I've had better training sessions this week than I have had in a long time. And it's really interesting because I think – one, I think my mental clarity and focus is there, so it's easier for me to focus in the gym and stay in tune because right. I haven't been doing like coffee or really much extra caffeine before I train. Um, secondly, I don't have a big influx of calories, and it kind of sets me into that like digestive mode, which is like a central nervous system mode, parasympathetic, which I don't want when I'm in the gym training hard, which I think might have something to do with it. And then two, I think my growth hormone levels are just higher. But I've been having a better pump which is fucking weird because in the gym, I've been getting way more vascular than I've ever gotten uh, yeah. when I eat before. So it's interesting to kind of play with uh, because a lot of people swear by not doing that and I've always been that type and I still think there's merit to if you really want to get big, like you probably should eat calories before. But if you're just trying to maintain, build a little bit of muscle, build a little bit of strength, I don't think there's anything wrong with training fast, especially if it's going to allow you to train better because I trained right. heavier this week than I was able to train last week without food. Which tells me that, yeah, because I'm feeling better, I have more energy, I'm just able to push harder. And at the end of the day, if I can push more weight, I'm probably going to see better results. Right. So it's interesting. So I've been playing with a lot of that. And then I think just the fact that I've been able to eat a lot of food lately and stay leaner because I've been sticking to these foods that agree with my stomach, mm -hmm. which has a lot of merit. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to digest and absorb nutrients better from XYZ, then I think it's obvious that you can consume more calories of those foods and be okay. Now, I still yeah. think there's a good way to, depending on who you are, to have a calorie goal because, and I still have a lot of clients on calorie goals, because it keep, gives you structure and it keeps you in line so you're not overeating too much. And a lot of people can't eliminate all these foods. I think we're probably the uh, more of a rare case where we're okay with eliminating a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It's, you know? And I'm, 
you know, creature of habit, I could eat the same things and I typically do eat the same things every day and I never get bored of it. So yeah. curse and blessing, right? Like <laughs> I'm not yeah. motivated by different food palates. You know what? I think I actually read this thing that uh, you might have a lower taste bud. Uh, what is it? Not variability, but there was like something that said like you might, I think it's either you have uh, more of the same types of taste buds yes. or less taste buds. More. Um, because people who can eat the same thing every day yeah. uh, and don't crave other things actually have different taste buds. I don't know if it's a genetic thing. Yeah. It, was, it was something I read, but I can't remember. I remember in a college biology class, um, I was curious because we were learning about taste buds and how every, what, like seven years they turn over. So you could go from not liking something to craving it in a matter of a couple of years. Right. But I said, I literally eat the same things and I've only ever liked the same things my entire life. And so they actually did like a screening on my taste buds and compared it to other average taste buds counts counts of taste buds anyways um and it showed that i had more taste buds than the average person which they said would be why i'm sensitive or picky about condiments why i only like certain textures of foods why Mm. um why i am the way that i am um but it's crazy they didn't go into they did test like sour and sweet and like you know the different receptors um, and they said that that's why I love sour, anything sour because of those taste buds. I would be really interested to do one of those tests. Yeah. It was I fun. wish I had, I wish I had a friend that was like some kind of nutritional scientist so I could just do all this shit because yeah. I would love to know all that kind of stuff about myself. And like I said, if I could, I would eat and I pretty much do eat the same thing every day too. But if I could eat the exact same thing every day to quote unquote biohack my life to, yeah. And, and honestly, that's what got me into intermittent fasting. I was like, okay, there's there's a lot of studies on intermittent fasting, and a lot of them show uh, help with growth hormone and fat burning and stuff. But there's a lot of studies that show the contrary. So those things are still so up in the air because there's a lot of great points of why it does. And there's a lot of great points of why it doesn't. So I think it depends on who you are and depends on how you go about it. Um, if you're training smart, blah blah blah. But there's a lot of irrefusible facts and studies done on mental clarity, focus, brain activity, memory, things like that, um, cell repair, so breaking down shitty cells and regenerating new ones, disease prevention, all these things that can help you essentially live healthier, smarter, be better, uh, feel better, have better energy throughout the day. That's what like triggered me to do intermittent fasting because I think I'm getting to a point where it's not all about how big my muscles are, how ripped I am and how much weight I can lift. It's more about like, okay, I do want a family and I want to be like the most optimal human being for that family. I want to run a super successful business and reach more people. I want to be able to learn and study and read more and do all these things. And it's like, how can I tap into that? And that's been huge for me. Um, And then I started digging more into it and I learned all these other things. So maybe we'll link this in the, um, Actually, the reason like I want to talk about the skin is because uh, Wednesday night, so two nights ago, mm-hmm. um, a guy was like, "Hey, like at the gym, he was like, "Hey, I read your article on intermittent fasting, and there's way more shit than I realized about intermittent fasting." And I was like, "Oh yeah, man." And he asked me questions, and I was literally supposed to leave. Like Shannon was waiting for me, I was off, and I literally talked to this dude for like 40 minutes. I feel like. <laughs> He's going to be listening now because I was like, dude, you got to check out the podcast. And he was like, you have a podcast? I was like, yeah, get on there. So, But we talked about it and it's just so enlightening on how like 
much information is out there on it. So I just dug into it. But if we could link that blog into this, um, it's called uh, 11 Life-Changing Facts About Intermittent Fasting. And we'll put it in the show notes. And it literally just like breaks down, like I said, 11 reasons why you should probably try intermittent fasting. And you can try it in multiple different ways. Like it doesn't have to be the daily one like us. Um, In fact, you probably get more benefits if you did it once a week and you did a 24-hour fast. I just know for me that doesn't – that doesn't sit well with my lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, but that shows probably the most benefit from a gut perspective um, and a growth hormone perspective. Yeah. So actually a lot of these disease prevention ones. The one but. that um, I was suggested was to do a three-day fast where you supplement it just basically with like bone broth or a broth of some sort. So you're still getting some protein, but that is the most beneficial. And it actually does a really good reset with your gut microbiome, Um, but not recommended for people who training. So if you do that, you know, three days, expect not to be training. Uh, Yeah. And I could see that like, if you can handle that like once a month, that would be extremely beneficial to not only all these things we've been talking about, but to your body composition because growth hormone, testosterone, recovery, all these things. So if you could take two to three days off a month of training and do a two to three day fast, you would get huge benefits. Yeah. So obviously for me, it wasn't uh, a smart choice either for my training schedule, but also um, some of the autoimmune stuff. I didn't feel that it would be the best option. Right. Right. All right. Let's, uh, let's knock out, like we had a few questions on the team page, the, uh, Facebook team page for, that were about nutrition that I figured we'd knock out before the next Q and a. So let's, let's yeah. run through those. All right. So Christiana, um, ask, what are your thoughts on refeed versus cheat days? I just read this. If it fits your macros article on it, I'm still one for having a cheat meal on the weekend, but it will be interesting to hear your thoughts on it as well. So I think that I hate the word cheat day. I just don't think that's a healthy way to go about eating um, and creating a relationship with food. Um, and I've seen it be very self-destructive with tons of clients and myself personally because um, – did she say cheat meal or cheat day? Um, I think she said both at first. Okay. Actually, refeed versus cheat days and she still – So cheat is... day is even worse because <laughs> – Yeah. So that – I think that – so I used to do this uh, – back when I first started really getting into all this stuff. And it was like, and it's funny because when I first, so I started training with Luca and I was, I think I just turned 19. And I came in there and I was like, I already had lost 50 pounds. And now he was like, all right, which is crazy to think about. That's a young age to lose that much weight. But uh, he was like, dude, we got to put some meat on you. Like you're skinny. Cause I, I went from being the fat kid to coming there as like the skinny guy. So he put me through a transformation where I was eating a lot of fucking food and I was just training like a madman for like 12 weeks straight and I put on a bunch of muscle. And then I got into intermittent fasting and we trained at night. So I just would eat clean food uh, for the most part, not super paleo or anything. I saw like granola, all these things. Mm -hmm. And on Saturdays, it was a cheat day. It was like, if you do one day a week, you're fine. But what I would do is we had, do you remember the Pike Place Bakery that used to be by the old gym? Yeah, yeah. So saturday mornings we'd all go in there we'd do charity boot camp and then we would do a strongman training so we'd do sled pulls and deadlifts and we'd do all this like mm-hmm. farmers carries it'd be a hard workout and then we would, would go right to the bakery sometimes we'd even go there before and we'd eat like <laughs> donuts and shit yeah. and then i would go home and i'd usually have like sushi with some friends i'd go out and drink that night because it was cheat day but you see you're kind of making up for the whole week 
Exactly. But the issue there was is I would make up for and then some because I would okay. eat like like I said, I would eat donuts and stuff. Right. And then I would go have sushi or burger or whatever because it was cheat day. Right. And then I would go drink and then probably have some like we call it street meat. But we you'd go up to Seattle. You have like hot dogs or whatever on the street. Okay. Um, and I'm eating 5000 calories a day easily. And so I'd wake up feeling like fucking shit because my stomach was a wreck. Yeah. And not to mention I gained five pounds. Right. And then. It would take me all week to get back to where I was before I started. Gotcha. So my point being is that a cheat day can do much more harm than good. Yep. So I do not recommend cheat days because it creates a bad relationship with food. A cheat meal I think is okay, but yeah. I would call it a reward meal. And she said in her question, refeed versus cheat days, but then she said she's one for having a cheat meal on the weekend. So it sounds like she plans to just have the cheat meal versus an actual cheat day. Right. So – I think cheat meals are okay. I think that you should call it a reward meal and you just need to have boundaries. So I think like you should go somewhere, order one plate of food and a, like maybe dessert and that's your meal, right? Yeah. Um, refeed days are more beneficial, I would say, um, because they have more structure to it. And usually you only use those if you're tracking calories and macros. So a refeed day is typically a day where you add – you pretty much bring your calories up to maintenance level. So if you're in a deficit of – 500 calories, you would just bring your calories up 500 and it's pretty much all from carbohydrates. Okay. But what that does is replenish glycogen stores and help you recover. It, it kind of gives you a mental break and then you can actually train a little bit harder the next few days afterwards because you have more glycogen in your system. Um, the most beneficial is a diet break or refeed weekend. So you need essentially two to three days minimum to actually stimulate a, a metabolic response, a leptin response, a ghrelin response, a testosterone. All these hormones that get secreted when dieting and are negatively impacted from being in calorie deficit. They once said like, oh, just have a day where you bump up your calories. That's where the cheat meal came up and all these things will kind of reset. Well, they've done studies and you have to actually do it for over 24-hour period. So 48 hours of straight calorie surplus. Wow. To make that happen. So the smartest way to do it is have five days a week of a pretty damn good deficit and then two days a week of refeeding with and just keeping boundaries. So you're only bumping calories up to maintenance. You're not going out of control. You're staying with your macros. But again, that's more structure. So it's not as much – it's not as easy as being like, oh, I'm just going to go have a nice meal with the family and it's going to eat whatever I want. Um, but it is more beneficial. Um, and then a diet break you do every – eight to 16 weeks and it's a full week of that, which is the most beneficial to reset hormones and everything. But with that, you got to look at the long picture. So I'm, I'm looking at, okay, by next year, I want to look and feel like this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to diet for eight weeks, do a diet break, diet for eight weeks, do a diet break. So you're keeping your hormones healthy and, but you know, it's not going to just be a linear downhill process of just losing weight the whole time. You know that there's going to be weeks where you kind of bring your weight up a little bit because you're having diet breaks, but you're staying healthy. Is that confusing or is that kind of I think I broke it down. Great. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So Ian had a question about intermittent fasting. He says he follows intermittent fasting principles and was curious to know if you should work out heavy while fasted. Why or why not? So this is uh, goes back to like what we were talking about earlier. And what I was telling him is I think it kind of depends on your epigenetics and your genetics in general. So um, that meaning I actually looked into my ancestry and my epigenetics and the cultures my family was brought up in and it actually suggests that I probably shouldn't have a super high carb diet, which makes sense, which also makes sense of why I actually enjoy training fasted. 
when you're at the tail end of your fast, you're essentially using ketones or body fat or just stored fat in general as a macro for your fuel because you're kind of depleted by that point, right? So it makes sense of if my epigenetics say that I could predominantly use that fuel and feel good, that I could train fasted and feel great. Because I told him, I was like, I feel great doing it. So it's a personal thing. And he was like, I feel like shit. I bonk out, which makes sense. I'm like, where's your genetics from? And how is your, like, your childhood? So epigenetics isn't just where your family ancestry is, but also like what were you like a kid? And I, I knew that he was a skinny kid growing up and it's always been really hard for him to gain weight, which is why I asked the question because he was like, man, it's always been hard for me to gain weight. It's like I can eat anything. Like I've always been a skinny kid. So I'm like, well, that's probably why. Your carb tolerance is high and you're probably a carb dominant eater, which means that frequent feedings and having carbs around training is probably going to be your best bet. So being in a fasted state is probably not going to be good for him. So <clears throat> that being said, I think it depends on who you are and without going to fucking Ancestry.com or whatever that place is, like I think you should just essentially test it out. If you go to the gym and you feel like shit working out, you notice your weight drop, don't do it. I tested it out this week. I noticed a bump up in weight. I noticed that I had more folks in the gym and so I'm going to run with it. Now, it doesn't mean I can't do both but I think the whole point is, is everybody's going to be different in this scenario and it kind of depends on your epigenetics and what your body tends to use for fuel. Definitely. But I think we also dispelled on this uh, podcast that you're not going to lose all your muscle if you train fasted. Like that's bullshit because you're having this rise of uh, growth hormone and testosterone and stuff, especially for those who it works well with. Um, so if you're sleeping and you're getting vital nutrients and you're getting enough protein within your feeding window, you're fine. Uh, but if you feel like shit, don't do it. Sounds like sound advice. <laughs> All right. Uh, Annalisa says, I'm looking for the best way to calculate what my daily calorie intake should be based on macros. If I have missed a post, I apologize in advance. Um, she says uh, her specific details. And so she says she's 38, 5'2", and her weight ranges between 154 and 158. And she says that she has 32% body fat, which she's trying to lose while also not losing muscle, which she finds hard. Um, she says she hits the gym at least five times a week with a mix of cardio and strength, but she does have a sedentary job and tries to move around as much as she can. So the reason I wanted to answer this question on today's is because, I mean, you saw, like, I... So she's in the Mind Bruce Muscle Team page, and I literally broke down everything for her. I was like, where are your calories at now? She showed me her MyFitnessPal. I was like, you need to think about this, 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 do this. Like, I wouldn't do this because of this. Somebody else chimed in and was like, oh, this is how I calculated. And I was like, but you got to think about this. So the cool thing is is that she has access to that in the Mind Bruce Muscle Team page. Um, mm -hmm. Shout out to our group. But uh, <laughs> the reason I want to do this is because I wanted to just kind of talk about calculators. Like, I do not think that calculators for nutrition are the smartest way to go. So she's asking, how do I calculate my nutrition? I was like, well, where are your macros at? And her macros and calories were actually totally fine where they were. Um, so she just needed to make an adjustment. But the point is, is that you can't type in, oh, 10 times my body weight and calories is going to help me lose weight and then not see any results. Right. So there's like a step-by-step -step program, right? First, start tracking, become aware and just eat better. Second, I would adjust macros. So if she told me, because she was about 160 pounds, I think it said. Uh, 154 to 158, so. Okay. And I think she was consuming like over 1600 calories. So she's over 10 times body weight, which she's still healthy as far as trying to be in a deficit because if she has weight to lose, then she's above her, what her, uh, like, I guess healthy maintenance would be. But let's say she sent me, she's eating 16 to 1700 calories, but she's only consuming 80 grams of protein. 
and the rest are from carbs and fat. I would be like, let's leave your calories as high as possible and let's just adjust your protein up and bring your carbs and fats down mm-hmm. versus typing in a calculator that, oh, you need to eat 1,200 calories to lose weight or the opposite happens. You type in a calculator, your BMR, you do this math equation, all this shit, and it tells you you actually need 1,800 calories to be healthy, which in a perfect world, like let's go back to quote unquote cavemen. When they were optimal, their hormones were healthy, they were moving, they were functioning, it probably was healthier to eat that much and they could maintain or lose body fat at that level. But the fact is, is most people in this day and age cannot do that. So if she were to read that calculator and bump her calories up to 1,800, she would just gain weight and she would be extremely frustrated and probably shut her down and make her stop dieting, right? So you don't always want to result to those. It's smarter than what I told her is like you need to track first see where you're at and create a deficit from there because your maintenance is different than what the calculator says your maintenance will be. Yep. So I really wanted this question just to tell people like don't trust everything that the, I think it's called like the Harris Benedict equation where you can track your cal- ma- or, uh, calculate your macros and all that stuff. And there's no secret macro ratio or anything. Just see where you're at now. And let's say she was eating 1700 calories and she had a lot to weight to lose. Let's create a 200 to 500 calorie deficit and she'll lose a ton of weight. Just make sure protein is there and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. But even more like important, keep your calories where they're at and do one of two things. Adjust your macros so you have more protein and less carbs and fat or simply do what we've been talking about this whole time and just change the way you're eating within those calories. Because I guarantee if you kept eating the same calories and you got rid of a lot of the processed junk, the refined sugar and things like that, you would feel so much better. You'd live longer, but you'd also probably lose a lot of body fat. And one thing I would say, which is an interesting observation I've had, is in the little over a month that I've been doing this sort of change up in with intermittent fasting, but also eating for me, mm-hmm. um, I've only lost, and I don't even know if it is true, but I've only lost a pound, but I look and feel and I've gotten responses from people as if I've lost like 10 pounds. Yeah. So you it's look, interesting. You look leaner and you look like you have more energy. Like I think yeah. that's a big a big key component of it too. Uh, but if you think about it too, you've been really busy lately. So you haven't been training as often as you used to. Right. So, so that's a good like key. Like the fact that you're – if you look like you've lost that much weight and you haven't, that means you're either retaining or adding more muscle. Mm-hmm. And you're just a lot healthier. So Right. Well, and I'd say the inflammation is down. So that – huge component looks looks like i've lost weight but i haven't yeah yeah absolutely good man i love it so i think that's the last one right that was the last one all right we're gonna wrap it up for today boom Boom. (laughs) (laughs) if you love the mind versus muscle podcast want more free content and you want to support the movement share this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review to get your questions answered on the next episode see the show notes for our social media handles and hashtag mind versus muscle